And so what we're trying to encourage universities to do is think, how can I not only produce credit hours and courses that come from my faculty, how can I actually take some of the existing credentials that out, exist out there in the world and allow students to pursue these as part of their university education? Welcome to Virtually Live, the podcast. Every week, we'll get into the latest and greatest in marketing and specifically event marketing, audience engagement, and brand experience. To guide us through that, we've invited event professionals and marketing leaders from various industries. In this week's episode, join Kaltura's Senior Director Solutions Strategy and Enablement, Sam Thompson, as he talks to Leah Belsky, Chief Revenue Officer at Coursera, about the ever-evolving world that is education and how it can happen anywhere with almost anyone. Let's go. Hi, I'm Sam Thompson, Senior Director of Solution Strategy and Enablement at Kaltura, and I'm coming to you virtually live from Plymouth, Massachusetts, America's hometown. Where and how people learn has changed significantly in the past decade, and even more so during COVID. Coursera has not only been a part of that change, but it also represents the forces driving it forward. Their Chief Enterprise Officer, Leah Belsky, is with me today to talk about what learning looks like in 2022 and why there's a little something to learn or teach in everything we do. Leah, where are you joining us virtually live from? So Sam, it's great to be here. I am joining you virtually live from New York. I live right outside of New York City in a town called Hastings on Hudson. And that's a good time of year to be there, fresh off of Halloween. So before we dive in, um, can you please give us maybe the elevator pitch on what Coursera does, who Coursera serves, you know, is it education, is it enterprise, is it individuals? Coursera is a global online learning platform. Our mission is to allow anyone anywhere to transform their lives with learning. And what we are is a platform that brings together hundreds of the top global universities, the top companies to create learning products. Um, these products can be anything from a clip or an online lab or project through to a course, a collection of courses or a full degree. And these products attract over 100 million learners around the world. 60% of them are outside of the US and Asia and Africa and India, all over the world. And we also have institutions who are part of our ecosystem. We bring the platform to universities, to businesses, and to governments. We're about 10 years old and went public last year in March, and it's been a wild ride. Your industry, which I'll call the education industry, maybe you'll, you'll have a difference of opinion on where, where you all stand, is one that took a major hit uh, during COVID. Um, you know, schools closed, students stayed at home. Uh, on the other hand, you, you being Coursera, was pretty well equipped for this type of situation in that, you know, you've always kind of been virtual, uh, which makes your COVID, you know, battle story uh, pretty interesting. Can you speak to that, please? So COVID was for sure transformative, both for the education industry and for Coursera. Um, back in March of 2020, when COVID was first sweeping the globe, you might recall that schools were closing. And by April, there were over a billion people, a billion students in particular, who were at home. And it was during that time that we we sat back and we said, you know, what role can we play as a, a leading online educator in this space? And so what we decided to do is we had a product called Coursera for Campus. It pulls together some of the top courses on our platform, and it's a product that universities can then consume and make available to their students. And so we made the decision to actually make that product free. 
we decided to do it because it was clear that this was a product that the world needed at that time. And within months, if not weeks, we had millions of students learning online. We had 17% of the global higher education community institutions suddenly working off the Coursera platform in an industry which before COVID had less than 1% of budgets being spent on digital technologies. Suddenly, digital technologies and, and technology at large was the answer to keeping the business going. How do we keep students learning? How do we enable our professors to teach online? How do we actually bring our students together as a community? And how do we actually think, step back and think if they are going to continue learning, what should they learn so that the time they spend will have a return and will have actually help them get a job when they graduate? That's incredible, firstly, and a really amazing decision. A lot of universities that we spoke with, you know, the pre-pandemic there was a lot of kind of pushback or reticence about kind of doing online, offering online programs. During the pandemic, it kind of broke away some of the fear of going online and, and offering, you know, high quality uh, virtual education. It's amazing that you're able to take a part and a leadership uh, role in that. I know a big part of the Coursera business is working with enterprise. That's one of the largest growth segments that you have. So how did, how did that evolve in terms of an education sense in, in your work with enterprise? You might remember that when everyone went home, uh, CEOs and CHROs were concerned with two things. One, how do I keep people engaged? Two, how do I enable their mental health given all the stress and the pressures? And three, how do I retain workers? And so we actually put together um, something called the Coursera Employee Response Initiative, um, and what it was was a collection of about 100 courses that were really focused on those things, on, on resilience, on managing virtual teams, on managing through crisis, positive psychology, well-being. Um, soon during that time, one of our, our top courses on the platform is actually a course called the, the Science of Well-Being. And it's a course taught by a woman named Lori Santos. She's a, a professor at Yale. And she put it on the platform. And then it was it was also picked up in the New York Times. And it became a huge blockbuster course. But that's the type of course. You know, it's a course that talks through what are the data-driven behavioral changes that you can make in your life to enable you, you to be happy. And that's the kind of course that our corporate audience also readily consumed during that time. And the second thing that happened during COVID and is still happening today is that um, COVID ushered in a huge digital transformation. You know, companies, as they were digitally transforming, were thinking, well, you know, I've laid off a lot of employees. I have a lot more automation. I don't necessarily want to bring back my same employees, but I'm realizing that data, software, um, digital tools are now essential to the way we work. And so with that snap change in how people work, there was a need to create new avenues and new pathways for talent. There was a need to recruit new talent. There was a need to train new talent. And that was another key place where we stepped in. We saw increasing calls from leading companies trying to figure out what could they use from the Coursera platform to teach data skills, to teach technology skills. And so it was at that time that we also came out with what we call Coursera Academies. There's a data science academy, uh, there's a technology academy, there's an HR academy, and a lot of what these academies do is, you know, with a with a turn of a switch, allow an organization to deploy learning paths that are role-based and that are measurable so, so individuals can actually transition from, you know, one career into another. Uh, how would you say the, the way people learn is different now compared to before COVID? 
in the workplace or in universities by themselves? Do you, do you think that some fundamental changes have taken place? These kind of pieces that you mentioned uh, are, are setting for how we're going to be learning into the future as well? Historically, the vast majority of global learning spend was focused on in-person synchronous learning. It was students sitting in front of classes. And I know, you know, Kaltura, for example, has been a leader in, in thinking about hybrid classroom and alternative ways to learn. Um, and and those products, like you saw, I'm sure, with, with the, the new road product or the Zoom product suddenly accelerated people being willing to learn in a hybrid setting. So that for sure changed. The second thing that changed in a major way in the corporate space is that before COVID, most of corporate learning leaders were focused on, you know, enabling learning as a benefit, provoking curiosity in companies, enabling people to learn as part of a culture. Some of these sort of softer, softer reasons, reasons for learning. And during COVID, as I said, when there became this much more intense focus on qualified and skilled talent, learning leaders became much more focused on figuring out what are the skills and the jobs that my organization is going to need in the future? What are the skills required for those jobs? And then how do I map um, learning to those job roles? The challenging thing is that, you know, most educators and learning leaders, unless you're an expert in these fields, don't know the answer to all the questions. There's very few people in an organization who could tell you what are all the job roles and what are the skills required for a data science and technologist. And so what was needed is a middleware like technology platform that had a lot of the skills data, that had a lot of the roles data. And that's another place where um, Coursera ended up advancing. I would say before COVID, we were largely thinking of ourselves as a as a content company and then really started transforming into a full skills platform. In the university space, there's also an interesting story. I think a lot of ink has been spilled on talking about the way in which people teach and how that evolved with COVID as people are using digital technologies and hybrid classrooms. What is even more striking is that you know, during COVID, despite the fact that there was a huge rush to online learning, people also started to really question um, the return on investment for online education. And so you saw a rise in enrollments, not only in traditional degrees, but more importantly, in alternative credentials. And so what we're trying to encourage universities to do is think, how can I not only produce credit hours and courses that come from my faculty, how can I actually take some of the existing credentials that out, exist out there in the world and allow students to pursue these as part of their university education? Whether you're a marketer, which many of the folks uh, attending here today are, or an event organizer, and certainly if you're an L&D, uh, our jobs entail informing and providing content to our respective audiences. Uh, consequently, one of the questions that's always on our mind is, uh, I'm sure probably yours too, is how people prefer their content. Is it live? Is it on demand? Is it short form? Is it long form? Can you shed some light and, and perhaps maybe some data uh, on that subject for us? We actually find that a minority of learners enjoy learning synchronously. So if you take an average degree program, we actually surveyed our students in a computer science program at sorry, in an MBA program in Illinois, and we asked, do you prefer to have the majority of your classes synchronous or asynchronous? The vast majority pre um, preferred asynchronous content. That said, I think the key is to be able to serve people in many different formats. I think now, post-COVID, 
the synchronous environments are valued in a very different way. But when we look at our learners, it's not because people want to sit and absorb content synchronously. It's because they want to sit and discuss and participate and be able to engage and catch chat and, and respond on the, on the content. Um, the other thing we look for is you know, to what extent can the content that you've created be chunked up into smaller units that post-event people consume in an effective way. Most of the content that we make on the platform is long-form content. Um, it's not live, but courses are eight to 20 hours, if not if not longer. And we realized that increasing number of our enterprise clients were saying that people wanted to learn in the flow of the work. They wanted to engage in micro-learning. They wanted to engage in you know three to five minute videos or really the threshold was about an hour. And so the question is, how do you produce that content? We ended up breaking up our entire catalog into over 200,000 of what we call clips. Wow. It worked for us because the content was already structured into sub videos, into sub lessons. And I can't tell you how efficient that was. And then when we, when we released these clips on the platform, immediately we saw a huge uptake in enrollments into long-form courses. And so that's how I would be thinking if I were a marketer, what's the long-form content I can create? How can I record it in such a way that it can be chunked? And then how do I release it to the world in a way that people can absorb those chunks of learning, but then very quickly proceed into a deeper experience? So specifically for event organizers then, and and I know that Coursera has some pretty big events, uh, their mission is to pile on often as much fresh content as possible. Is so how would you suggest making it consumable and, and not overwhelming? There's a lot that you want to share, but how do you how do you package that to kind of you know make it more consumable for for event participants? Coursera has really started to rethink like what's the what's the purpose of an event and to what extent is it about bringing together a community? To what extent is it about creating an ecosystem? To what extent is it about you know marketing your products and getting getting leads. And I think the purpose is what really drives the structure for us. And, you know, to give an example, during COVID, like everyone, we went live, we went virtual with our main event, which is called the Coursera Conference. And it's a, it's a unique event that brings together companies, governments, universities to really think together about the future of work. And it's one of the few events that does bring together that variety of, of stakeholders. And what we decided is that Yes, they want to come together to understand the overall strategy of Coursera and you know the future of higher education, but they also come together because they want to meet each other. And so we spent a lot of the time in conference. I would say there was you know maybe five or eight kind of keynote style section sessions or fireside chats like this, but the vast majority of the con um, conference was actually design workshops where we put out problems or big big challenges for groups of people and then through Zoom had different types of facilitations or discussions. So the conference was there for people who wanted to meet and network and connect in a way that many people were lacking in COVID. And then from a post-conference strategy, you know, I think we took the strategy that that uh, I described before, which was structuring our keynotes in ways that they could be chunked up into um, future modules um, for the marketing engine. Another thing online education and virtual events share um, unfortunately, as high attrition rates, certainly part of that is because it's, we're trying to go for, you know, cast as wide a net as possible, yeah. right? We, we're making it cheap. We're making it super easy to sign up. Um, uh, but conversely, as a result, the, the commitment is 
less for our participants. So it's easy to sign up, but it's a lot harder to follow through or complete something. How do you keep people engaged in any case if this is through online learning, virtual events, to make sure that you know once they sign up, you want to get them through? How are some different strategies around that? So on the learning side, you know, driving learning engagement is a problem that teams have worked on for for ages. And I think we've deployed a number of different tactics in the platform and then other tactics with our with our companies. So in the platform, you'll see various forms of gamification. Um, to give you an example, in the enterprise learner, learner platform, we recently, about a year ago, released something called skill sets, where as a learner learns, they can actually see something. It looks a bit like a recipe label and you can see your progress against certain skill scores. And we found that when people were using skill sets, they were spending significantly more time learning because they had a sense of progress. It wasn't just about completing something. They were able to immediately see the return on what they were what they were doing and it, and it was measurable. The other thing we've we've spent a lot of time thinking through is how we communicate and nudge, nudge learners um, through through their journey. And when they come back to the learning platform, how we presented to him. So, you know, years ago, if you came to Coursera and you started a course and you didn't continue it the next day, next time you signed in, would everything would say overdue. <laughs> now you just jump back in wherever, wherever you are and you can continue with the cohort. Um, but I think these type of um, behavioral behavioral presentations of learning make, make a big difference. But the other thing I've been thinking a lot more about lately is actually community. Um, and I think particularly in a co- post-COVID world where a lot of people are remote and are not learning, a lot of people that both Coursera and our corporate clients are thinking about is, you know, how how can people learn from each other and how do we connect the desire to learn with the desire to connect? And so we've been thinking a lot more about how do we do, how do we build out technology that allows something like scalable forms of brown bag lunches, scalable forms of cohort building. In the real world, these are simple concepts, but it's hard to build technology for that at scale. And so I think that's what we're thinking a lot about cohort and group-based learning, content curation that can be done by individual facilitators. And then, you know, ultimately, a lot of it is about working with the executives who lead learning programs and, and helping them articulate the motivations for the people they're trying to engage and recruit. I love that. I mean, I, I feel that for me, lesson learned from the pandemic was the need to be connected in community in different ways, even especially since many of us are working remotely. And I think, uh, you know, community through learning is just uh, fantastic. There's been a lot of talk about how virtual and hybrid events have increased opportunities uh, for women and disadvantaged demographics really uh, a far more inclusive and blogging environments. Did the online revolution and, and later COVID change not just how people learn, but who has it opened the door to more demographics, given more opportunities to folks? We saw a couple couple things on the demographic front. One, you know, historically that women have lagged in STEM fields. And we saw that during COVID, the, the percentage of women who are enrolling in STEM classes reached its height. And actually 51% of STEM enrollees on Coursera were women, which was a a remarkable shift. The other thing we saw, and I talked a little bit earlier about some of these foundational gateway certificates, so certificates in IT support or UX design or project management. And we saw, what we see is that not only do these certificates increase people's career trajectories, but we saw that about 55% of the 
Google career certificates in particular um, are graduating people who identify as Asian or Black and Latino. Um, and so I'm excited to double down on on that trend. And I think for us, it's inspired us to really make sure that the learning products that we're putting out are broadly accessible. And so we're working very closely with a lot of our corporate partners like IBM and Google to build scholarship programs and grassroots community marketing programs, but most importantly, to make sure that the learning programs deliver skills and are impactful from the perspective of earning a new job or, or, or advancing. Leah Belsky, Chief Enterprise Officer from Coursera. Thanks so much, Leah. This was great. Thank you, Sam. Thank you, Leah Belsky and Sam Thompson for joining us today. And thank you for tuning in. To give you a little taste of what's coming next week, here's seven questions and events with VP and Head of Strategic Marketing at Here Technologies, Daniel Simon. So welcome uh, to seven questions in events, seven questions with industry expert Daniel Simone. No time to waste. Let's go. What's the one thing you want your attendees to get out of your events? Uh, that would be the progress that a privacy first location technology can bring to businesses and society. Great. What's your favorite uh, way to engage with your audience? Uh, when I think of events, it's uh, listening to uh, our customers, our audience, when they um, experience our showcases. Who would your dream keynote speaker be? No restrictions. That would be Tristan Harris, uh, who is the co-founder of the Center for Humane Technology. Which trend in virtual events are you most looking forward to? <laughs> the return to more in-person events <laughs> and uh, making them intelligently hybrid. So best of both worlds. What's an, uh, an event marketing pitfall people should watch out for? Mm. Going to too many events, uh, spreading yourself thin um, and executing events in isolation from your integrated uh, marketing programs and campaigns. Full agreement on that. Uh, what's your go-to source for personal development info in terms of events and marketing? Mm, nothing particular. Uh, I rely on my team, our, our agency, um, and also my peers. Shout out another event professional. Okay, uh, that, that must go out to my experience marketing team at Here Technologies. Um, under the lead of Peter Preuss, um, and also the Munich-based uh, uh, team of the of the agency Jack Morton that we are working with. So uh, really grateful for that partnership and also um, thankful for the work that my team is doing. Daniel Simon, uh, VP and Head of Strategic Marketing at Here Technologies. Thank you so much for your inspiring insights. Hope to see you around in the upcoming events. Thanks for having me. Thank you, Roy.